This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Well, good morning again, church family. How's everybody doing today? You've, you've just got to be loving this weather, right? I mean, right? God's good to us. He's good to us. I know when it's 98 degrees and humid too. I understand. But he is a little bit better to it. No, just kidding. <laughs> the weather's been phenomenal. Um, good to be in the house of the Lord, right? So uh, today's message, Father's Day message. Um, but the key is we're going to look at God, the Heavenly Father, not just a charge for us as dads. So it's a takeaway for all of us. I'll give you a couple gospel responses at the end and even give one for the ladies. So, um, but we're going to start with a little bit of fun. So if you can bring up the first slide. So when you Google best dad ever, who comes up? Robert Young, Jim Anderson, in Father Knows Best. And yes, for those of you that are under the age of 30, we did watch television in black and white. And yes, our TVs were about this small and we were happy as could be. Uh, which is funny, we have big TVs now, but everybody watches everything on a small, that's another story. Okay, next, next one. Who's this one? Leave it to Beaver. Right? Ward Cleaver. Hugh Beaumont was his name. Okay, next one. My favorite, Andy, Andy Griffith. Loved him and Opie. Man, best stuff ever. Him and Don Knotts, funniest tag team. I, man, just so great. Now we're going to move into the more recent stuff because it's going to be in color. Next screen. Clark Griswold. <laughs> Christmas vacation. Glenn said I had to have that in or he was going to ask me to leave. <laughs> Love, love, love Clark. Next one. Danny Tanner. Full House. I think my girls, they're big Full House fans. Uh, And then the next one I had to put in just for me. So that's my father with my four kids. Um, And Jake was in the last service and Jake still to this day goes. So, um, yeah, so... Other than take my dad out of it for a split second, what do those other four fathers have in common? They're fictitious. We're going to talk about that today, about how the world has shaped how we see how fathers should be. And I can't tell you enough, I'm learning every day, the more I learn from Scripture, the better off I am. So we're going to talk about that too. So with my father now in the mix, what do those fathers have in common? They're also all sinners. There is no perfect father here on this earth. The only perfect father that we can look to is our heavenly father. And as good as I have some good days, I also have some bad days as two of my kids are sitting directly in front of me, Will and Molly. They can tell you I have some good days, I have some bad days. God always has a good day. He does not, he doesn't let the dog interrupt him and get frustrated and let the chaos of life get in the way. He is a good, good father, as we just sang. He is, a, he is just the amazing heavenly father. 
So here's, here's your two takeaways for today. I'll give you kind of the heads up of what we're going to go through. So our first goal is for all of us to see God, our Heavenly Father, through the lenses of Scripture. Let me say that again. For all of us to see God, our Heavenly Father, through the lenses of Scripture. Some of us had great dads growing up. I am honored to say, blessed to say, I had a great dad growing up. But I know others of you have been horribly mistreated and abandoned by your dads at times. I, I don't take that lightly. Counseling, almost 15 years, whatever the number is, the more I counsel people, the more I realize just how broken family life and, and, our, and how we grow up can really harm us moving into the future. I say, and I mean this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, one of the best parenting advices I give parents now, young parents, is, hey, you're going to screw your kids up. It just depends on how much you're going to screw them up. Okay? Secondly, as earthly fathers, let us have the wor- let's not have the world shape us as fathers, but let's turn to Scripture and our Heavenly Father to lead us, mold us into the fathers we are called to be. So those are going to be your two takeaways. So here's a question for you, and I would like a little response. Nothing bad than a little response in the sermon. So Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God the Father is the most important thing about us. So let me ask you, when I say God the Father, what's something that comes to your mind? Loving? Grace? Holy? Holy? Protector, family, peace. Yeah, oh, that's amen to that. Constant, yeah. So one of my favorite characteristics of God is that he's faithful. I know you guys have heard me say this because I'm not always faithful to him, but he has never not been faithful to me, um, which is amazing. And then the other thing I want you to be thinking about as we talk about this A lot of us come in here, we're all reading, hopefully, we're all reading the same book, but we have different perceptions and influence of how we see God. So here's something to think about as we move forward today. Do you see God the Father differently than Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Because I have found that over time, People have a different, like as if they're different people. And we're going to talk a little bit about that too. So let's start here. Best place to start is that he is the creator, the great creator, and then he's all-knowing. So we're going to bounce around in scripture. We'll have it up on the screen. I said, almost said board again. There's not a board back there. It's a screen. Um, we'll have it up on the screen. If you want to follow in your Bibles, good luck because there's a lot of it. So, But uh, I was saying to Buddy Landrum, um, there's no better place to go than Scripture to learn truth and the answers. If it was just me up here giving you thoughts and my experience, I would fail you miserably. So let's turn to Scripture. Psalm 139, 1 through 7. Remember, he's the great creator and he's all-knowing. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, 
You know, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me and you have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? When can I flee from your presence? So I love that he's saying this about who God is. And then he says, this knowledge is beyond me. It, we cannot... I, I know some people try to grasp... like. I think sometimes it's people seek the knowledge of God to try to absolutely understand God. I've said this before. If you can understand God completely, that means you're now God, right? Which we are not. So there are things about God that are just un, un, under, uh, unsearchable, um, hard to understand, hard to grasp. So one of the things we're going to talk about today is His love. We only know love from an earthly standpoint. It is hard to grasp how loving He is, how much He cares for you. But if He made you, if He's the great Creator and He's all-knowing, it's a good place to start. He knows you and you can't escape Him. Genesis 1.27 says, we were made in His image. Matthew 10 29 through 31 says he numbered uh, the hairs on your head. He knows that. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5 teaches us that he chose us before he formed us in our mother's womb. And he set us apart for a mission before we were even born. So before you were created, he knew what he had in store for you. So the book, Living God's Word, which a lot of us are going through in D groups, written by Duvall and Hayes, I want to give them credit because it's a really phenomenal book, tries to explain that kind of God's story is like this super highway. Picture like I-95 going from Maine to Florida. And where we come in at whatever time we come into that lane is the way God had it and designed and wanted it to be. So all of us here in this room, he knew we'd all be here. He knew what was going on in your life this morning. He knows what's going to go on in your life this afternoon. But he has you here at this time, at this place, for a reason. Because he is the creator and he's all-knowing. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I, know they're, and, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you. I was made in secret when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So if God created you, and whatever you yelled out about God, I mean this, I know there's things that you didn't yell out about God because you might be angry with Him. You might be upset with Him. I cannot stress this enough, and I really, and I can definitely turn to Alethea on this, especially working with students, especially in a world that they live in. I try to drive home, folks, God is the creator, and he does not make mistakes, nor does he make junk. Amen. 
So if he made you, you are great because the great creator made you, right? You are here for a reason, this time in history. And I think about this too. Think about people have been preaching out of this, out of this book for thousands of years. And hopefully they'll be preaching out of it for a thousand more. Okay? Just a wonderful, wonderful thing to remember. All my days were written in your book. God is fully in control. He's the great creator and all-knowing. That leads us then to, if he's that, then that means he can provide for you and all your needs that he wants you to be fulfilled. With me? So, no, just because I want a motorcycle, which I don't, by the way, but if I wanted a motorcycle and he doesn't give it to me, doesn't mean he's not the great provider. He might be saving my life. He actually is, because if I got on a motorcycle, it would probably go bad. He is the great provider. So Matthew 6, 25 through 40, 34. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the, and the body more than clothing? Verse 26 here is what we'll come back to and talk about it a little bit more in depth. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So verse 27 says, can you add a moment of life, uh, lifespan by worrying? This is a side note. I haven't said this in the other two services, but it just popped in my head. If you read anything about stress and worry, it actually decreases your lifespan. So worrying, if anything, hurts you. He is the great provider. So think about this. The birds of the sky, they don't sow or reap or gather in the barns yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Did God make birds in His image? No. He made you in His image. So if He's providing for birds and other animals that walk the earth... Don't you think he thinks much more highly of you and wants to provide for you because you were made in his image? Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So I think about this. So I, I would say, you'd have to ask my kids, but I think my wife and I have been pretty good gift givers over the years. We like to do surprises. We like to surprise them with things. We give them fun gifts. Well, Michelle and I are broken, sinful people. 
And if we, give good, if we can give good gifts to our kids, how much better are the gifts of the perfect heavenly father? I just think that's a really good analogy because it's like you think about who God is and the things he gives. They're not broken. They're great. He is so much better than our earthly dads. He offers us more than our earthly dads and he is perfect and he loves you to the point of creating you and walking with you. So, first two, I normally get like people are like, yeah, okay, that's pretty good. Here's the third one though. He's the great disciplinarian. Not a lot of yahoo on that one. So here's what I would tell you. I think the reason there's not a lot of He's a great disciplinarian. We actually should be saying that for this reason. He disciplines in a loving, caring way. I know at times is hard. But he is not like the earthly fathers. Because I know for some of you in this room, this could be a very, very touchy subject. I've definitely counseled multiple people that have been raised by a hostile disciplinarian. That is not who God the Father is. Remember, folks, we're trying to look at him through a biblical lens, not through an earthly broken lens. Hebrews 12, 3 through 13. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved uh, by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as a discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you would be, you are an illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the, to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weaken knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Pertaining to this, I think there's a really important factor for us to remember. And I think truthfully, we get it wrong. And that is, <clears throat> our sin is worse than we can understand. Our sin is worse than we can understand. I think at times, and we just kind of do this, it's just a little sin. We need to be disciplined. Second, his love is greater than we can even imagine. So if our sin is really 
really bad. It's sin. For him to love us, to allow us into heaven, he had to send his son, because that was the only way to get rid of that sin. You with me? Think about the love that somebody has to have to have that happen. Our sin is worse than we think it is, and his love is greater than can be even imagined. Do you believe that his discipline is for your benefit? Maybe. Not always easy, but I really do believe it's for our benefit. And what his end sentence here is so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead is a good example of that. How many times has God disciplined you like when you feel like you're you're kind of um, moving away or drifting? So think about what that says. I, it's, it's like he's saying, so I want to protect you when you're only at a two in discipline, because if you get to a 10, you're going to be dislocated and there's going to be a major problem. It's like having a hairline fracture. If you don't rest it up, eventually it could get worse. I really believe that's what he's saying here. What is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. God is the great disciplinarian. He does it for our benefit out of his love for us to form us more and more into his image. Um, This is one of those moments, three services. If I said this already, I apologize. But the story, there's a story that goes about a silversmith. Um, They call that forging, forging, like putting it in the fire. And they will ask a silversmith, so how do you know that the silver is ready? And he says, when I can pull it out of the fire and see my face in it. I think that's what God's doing. That's, that's my analogy. But I think that's what God's doing. He's, he's perfecting us so he can see his face in our image. You with me? Okay. So if he's a great disciplinarian, that leads us to that he's the great caregiver who is full of mercy. So 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Love knowing that. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the suffering of Christ overflowed to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance of the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the suffering, so also you share in the comfort. Paul is teaching us that he is the God of mercies and of all comfort. Back to that question I asked earlier. Do you see the Father and Jesus being different? They are one, the same, different roles per se, but the same heart, same characteristics, all those things we've talked about. I believe at times we see God as the judge with a massive hammer coming down on us and that Jesus kind of comes behind him and goes, no, 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 we love you. That's not who he, that's not who they are. That's not who he is. The father is no less than the son and the Son is no less than the Father. 
Let me say that again for you. The Father is no less than the Son, and the Son is no less than the Father. Dane Orland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, giving you a quick plug on that book. Great book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Orland said this, the father of mercies is the one who multiplies compassionate mercies to his needful, wayward, messy, fallen, wandering people. That's us in this room. He has a multitude of mercies of every kind, a mercy for every need. It's who he is. Orland ended this uh, segment with this. He is more the father of mercies than Satan is said to be the father of son, of, of, of the father of sin. Let me say that again since I butchered that at the end. He is more the father of mercies than Satan is said to be the father of sin. And I think this verse, uh, Psalm 34, 18, really sums up uh, who God is. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Do you see God's heart in this verse? He is near the brokenhearted. So if you take all of the things that we've talked about so far, it really drills us to this last point of who God the Father is. And again, I know there's other things we could have talked about, that he's a shield, a refuge, a protector, all those things. But it really leads us to this idea that he is the great, loving, and all-powerful Father the great, loving, and all-powerful Father. So 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world did not know us is that it did not know Him. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16-17, May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Exodus 19.5 says that we are his treasured possessions. We are his treasured possessions. Revelation 21.3-4 says that one day he will wipe away every tear and take away all the pain we have suffered on earth. That's out of his love. John 17.23 says that he loves us even as he loves Jesus, his son, And honestly, folks, the best example, if you were to leave here with any example, the best example is, so Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? And John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I am sure there are multiple people walking in these doors that are wondering, why has God allowed certain things to happen in your life? We can't unpack all that today. But I do rest on the idea that if God really honestly created me and he loves me, then everything must be one for his glory and two for our good. And I just have to rest on that truth at times because sometimes I don't understand why he's doing things he does. Because if I were in charge, right? 
That's what happens. Well, if I were in charge, I would do this. Well, Matt was away for a week and so was Glenn. Luckily, the church still ran okay because I was in charge for a small amount of time. We'll just say Kim and Barb kept me in check. (laughs) It is absolutely because he loves you and the greatest picture of that is him putting his son on the cross. Now, that's God our Father, our Heavenly Father. So we're going to take the last bit. It's going to be quick. But I just want to give the, my earthly fathers here uh, some things to think about. And uh, hopefully it won't be too painful. So, okay. So men, we do a lot of things well. What's something we do well, men? We provide, right? No, I'm not saying that, Jessica. I've often said we make a good fire. We tell a good dad joke. Too many dad jokes. Um, Yeah, sometimes we probably push our boundaries at times with the kids, right? My kids will always say we like blowing things up, right? Right, we shoot stuff, yeah? We do a lot of things well, I think the world would say we do well. But I think at times we fail to do biblical things well. And I'm going to give you two things to think about, and I'm going to, we're going to support it with Scripture, because it's not Bill Brown making this stuff up. It's right out of Scripture. First is, I think at times, men, we lead too much with an iron fist and not enough, not enough with love, care, and compassion. So 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12. As you know, so this is Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he's giving them a comparison. He's saying, like a father with his own children. So he's implying that a father should be this way. We encouraged you. We comforted you. We implored each one of you to live worthy of God who call you into his own kingdom. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Father... Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. I will tell you right now, I have definitely stirred up anger in my kids. For no other reason than they caught me at the wrong time, wrong day, flat tire on the way, whatever it is. Okay? I can't stress this enough because I'm telling you, I know there are people in here that view their Heavenly Father because of how their father raised them. That is not who God is. If I could scream that at the top of my lungs, I would love to scream that at you all. It is not who God is. We are called to... As Galatians 5, through 20 says, 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 but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Let me say it again. Patience. Anybody struggle with patience? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. I said in the last service, I'm not going to do it. But if I called your wife and your kids and went, hey, can I run these fruits of the Spirit by, the, by you? Are you seeing these in your Father? Hopefully they would say they would see that. 
So that's, that's the first piece. The second piece is this. We are called to teach our children. Gentlemen, not just how to hit a 78-mile-an-hour curveball, not how to kick a soccer ball and do penalty kicks, not just to how, how to make a fire and you know, burn meat on the grill. We are called, as Deuteronomy 6, 4, 9 says, listen to what I'm saying. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. And listen to what uh, the writer says. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. And if you do this, Proverbs 22, 6 says, if you do it, they will not depart from godly teachings we have given them. Now, I am not up here bashing sports. I played sports. My kids played sports when they were younger. What I'm telling you, though, is to be intentional in those times. So a lot of your kids play travel ball. I'm just giving you an example. A lot of your kids play travel ball. I talked to somebody the other day. They got to drive up to Pennsylvania, up towards Philadelphia. So that's a two and a half hour drive. I said, so what are you going to do when you're in a car with your kids to be intentional teaching them about the Lord? Because Deuteronomy 6 is telling us, do it when you're sitting with them, when you're walking with them, when you're hanging out with them, when you're lighting that fire. Jake and I were out cutting wood. I remember uh, a couple weekends ago, we were cutting some wood down, Will and Jake and I, and we are just talking about life while we were out there. Be intentional. Because if you think that the whole reason you're here is to take your kids to ball games or to dance class or whatever it is they do, drama, whatever, be intentional with those times when you're with them. I had one father say to me that what they used to do is they used to listen, they would pop a podcast on or listen to a sermon when they were driving up and they would just take about 45 minutes in a three-hour drive and they'd say, look, hey, let's listen to something together and talk about it. Man, that's what we're called to do. We're called to love, care, show them encouragement, compassion, comfort them, but we're called to teach them the ways of the Lord. Those other things are cool. My dad taught me how to blow stuff up with gunpowder. Man, I have some really cool stories. And I still have all my fingers. But he taught me scripture. He taught me how to, how to love my mom, how to treat ladies, how to follow scripture, those kinds of things. It's important. It's important, important stuff. So here's your takeaways. Your first gospel response. Are you viewing your heavenly father through the broken lenses of your relationship with your earthly father? Only you know that. And if you are, man, dig into scripture and learn who the God of all things really is. Two, when you think of your father, do you think of him as somehow less loving than Jesus? Because he's not. They're one in the same. Remember, the father is no less the son, and the son is no less than the father. And third, fathers, are you loving and leading your family the way Scripture is teaching you? And what I would tell you is, how do you eat an elephant one bite? At, uh, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? 
Look, if you're not diving into Scripture to learn how to teach your kids, I'm not telling you tomorrow that you have to read through the Gospels. Just crack the book. Read it. Read something. Let the Lord teach you through His Scriptures. And then, ladies, I have a takeaway for you. Moms, don't leave here telling your husbands how he should be better. Pray for him. Encourage him to be the husband and father God has called him to be. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in counseling settings, man and woman, woman and man, it goes back either way, where the wife will be, I told you, see what he's telling you? And I go, no, no, don't do that. Just like I would say the opposite, you know. I'm telling you, ladies, encourage us, pray for us, pray for us to be the fathers that God has meant us to be. So I wore this shirt for a couple reasons today. One, um, this shirt's probably 20 years old, 18 years old, and I never wore it because I hated stuff like this. Michelle would make this with the kids. Like I have one, it's a sweatshirt. It's got the kids' footprints on the back. It says, we walk all over our dad. Um, I just was never that guy. Two, being 90 pounds less, I'm able to wear the shirt, which is really cool. But three, I hope this analogy comes across. It sounded good in my head, so hopefully it comes across right. My kids did not make the shirt. So Will and Jake specifically made this one. This is before the girls. They did not make it for me to love them more. They made it as a gift to me. It's a gift. Probably made it because your mom made you. But it's still a gift. No matter what you do with your Heavenly Father, you can't earn any more of His love. And like this shirt, if I were to take it off, and no, I'm not taking it off, it doesn't mean I love my children any less. It's not... See, to see the analogy, because that's not... I think so often we are taught early on, it's like we're working our way to His love, and the harder we work, the more He loves us. Man, it just doesn't work that way, folks. There is nothing you can give Him that He does not already have or could create. How freeing is that? And you know what? I said earlier in in Psalm uh, 139, He knows our thoughts. Man, He knows my thoughts. I can't believe He loves me. Right? That's how much He loves you, folks. Let that sink in. And as you leave here, and I'll say this, I didn't say this to the other ones, kids in the room, love your dads. Because even when they fail, man, they are trying real hard. Okay? Love you all. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. Man. Father, I thank you that you love us despite knowing us, man. Whew. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your care, your compassion, your comfort for us, Father. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for providing for us, Father. And Father, thank you for being in charge. Because, <laughs> man, if we were in charge, Lord, this place would be even more screwed up, right? Father, thank you, Lord. Father, would this day be a day that, yes, we make a big deal of our earthly fathers. And thank you for them, Lord.
But Father, would it be every day that we make a bigger deal about how great you are, Lord. Thank you, Father. We love you and lift this up to you in your holy name. Amen.
Have a happy Father's Day, and remember the running of the darkness and light it up. God bless you. You are dismissed. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us, and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.